fashion nerd. <laughs> oh, is that what your planned intro was? No, just but, to make fun but of I, me. But uh, that's what it became. Oh, I was gonna. I was gonna start with a very spooky and scary story. Oh, good. They're just in time because tomorrow is uh, Halloween, so we're we're all getting in the spirit. Yeah. Well, I, I saw this meme online. It was pretty funny. It uh, it had said, um, "My kid wants to be." something super scary for Halloween, so they're going to walk around with a uh, school uh, donation thing. What was, what was it? A school donation thing. One of those, one of those things where you... Uh, a fundraiser. Okay. A school fundraiser form. <laughs> I thought, what would be the equivalent of that in the Salesforce world? And I thought, safe harbor. Oh, let's see. There's got to be something better than that. Yeah. Oh, a, a kid, oh, you know what? You could literally walk around as like a... Um, you have to get something like printed, like on a sandwich board or something. But a lead gen form, you could dress up as a lead gen form. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, better, better. Uh, trust. It just have like this the site, the trust site, but it says it's it's an orange. It says uh, degraded performance. Oh, that's nice. that's the scariest. That's that's your scary Halloween yeah. Salesforce. Because we all know degraded performance means just complete system yeah, wide outage. The, the system's <laughs> done. You can't log in. You're degraded at the moment. Yeah. So. Halloween's tomorrow. I feel like crap today. I don't know how I'm going to feel tomorrow. I'll probably just be handing out kid and sickness. Do you Can- um, candy and sickness? That's, I, that's my plan. I forget what's your job. Is it to um, take the kids? Well, around? it used to be. It okay. used to be because I I liked doing that, but um, lately I've been making my wife do it, and I've been sitting at home handing out candy, making her do it, huh? Yeah, which it's is pretty- not fun. It's not fun sitting at home because you get the random like you'll get like a, a spike of people at your door. Or you get you're getting none for a while, and then you get the spike, and you're you just when you sit down, it knocks again. Or, or you know, as just, soon as you sit down, yeah, yeah. Now I know why people set that big bucket out. Yeah, but that doesn't work very well. Yeah, and I try to be generous, but kids are too polite these days. I'm like, here, here's the thing: grab as much as you want, and they grab one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, you can grab more than one. It's fine. <laughs> no, they're too nice. Like my kids are bringing home more. Right. <laughs> I do the uh, I do the uh, the candy inspection, and I got to use my air quotes here because it's really just me trying to figure out which ones I want to eat. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> American, kid, dump yeah. that dump that candy out. Dad's got to take a look. Yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite Halloween candy? Uh, I mean, I like the chocolate stuff. Yeah, I do too. I like it too much. Yeah. I mean, everything from Whoppers to uh, the little crispy chocolates. What are those called? Like the um, crackle stuff and oh, crackle's good. Crack. There's certain ones that only show up around Halloween, and I love them. It's like a Mr. Good Bar, Crackle, um, the crispy crunch, crunch or Nestle crunch, Nestle yeah, crunch. Yep. Um, I think yeah, those are the ones that I really like. And then you, of course, you get the little Hershey's dark chocolate. They come in those tiny little wrappers. Yeah. I feel like I have some others I like too, but the yeah, mainly the the, the ones that go stale after after a month and you end up tossing the whole bag. I don't like any of the ones that are just sugar though. Kids love them though. They I like know. the sour patches and the sour stuff and the super sugary stuff. The yeah. hard candies. Um, it's funny because you can tell in the age groups because we have both. We'll usually have both options, and the younger kids always pick the hard candy, sugary stuff. The older kids will go for the chocolates. No, yeah. yeah. I think it's a chocolate as an age thing. You develop a taste for it. I think so. Well, I, I John, develop too much of a taste for it. Uh, like I have my own bag yeah. of candy. And I shouldn't, but Your I do. Personal bag. I do. Do you go trick or treating? Like, I think my wife bought it so that I wouldn't eat the kit, the actual candy that's supposed to be given out. Yeah. But uh, 
don't know. Hey, uh, I noticed that there's an interesting title at Salesforce. So there's actually someone who is the Trailblazer Community VP. Well, that stands reason, doesn't it? I guess. The whole trail isn't isn't the whole Trailblazer thing part of their whole training and certification thing? It's this is not this is the Trailblazer Community VP. <clears throat> mm. I don't know. I don't even know who it is. It's not uh let's see, Erica Cool quit, right? It's not her. I don't know someone else. Right. But it's like, oh that's who who knew that you could be a VP of <laughs> The Trailblazer community, but oh, there's there's a lot of whole new titles oh, these days it's, that I wouldn't have imagined years ago, but they exist. Yeah. Well, and we're also speaking of Trailblazer. I thought I had in my notes here that, um, oh yeah, we have the whole Trailhead Live. Thing. Yeah, Did you and see the that? Trailhead the dot me. Is it dot me or is it dot my? Um, I don't know. Oh, is that you get your own little URL or whatever? Yeah. Okay, so wait, so first of all, we have Trail. Is it Trailhead? Trailhead Live. Mm-hmm. So Trailhead Live reinvents the classroom experience for the digital world. It is a brand new learning experience on Trailhead that provides learners with live stream and on-demand videos covering today's most in-demand skills for free. Uh, Trailhead Live leverages the power of live broadcasts and community interaction through Q&As and discussion to create new levels of engagement. That sounds uh, a little PR-ish there. It does. It sounds like they're... Well, I, well the last part did. It's, it's, it's something that... A lot of systems already do, so it's not like it's innovative or disruptive, but I guess it's now available on Trailhead. Well, I think I think for Salesforce, the big commitment is just is running all running live stuff and then also producing a bunch of video content. Well, they're they're home growing this technology, from what I understand, and I'm I'm not sure what they're using in the back end, but in terms of just, I'm sure the world's number one leading metadata driven customer success platform. Uh, I'm sure, yeah. But they actually know. Wasn't what did we find? Didn't we see the trailhead was built on? Um, it was re, I, originally it was all it was like I believe someone looked at it and it was React. It was not even, you know, Lightning or whatever. But I'm not sure if they rebuilt that or what. Oh no, yeah, that that part's fine. But it's not using any of the kind of the industry standard specs or let's SCORM or XAPI or anything like that. It's its own oh, thing. I got it. You mean the and so there's no. Yeah. It's not like you can develop content and just upload it and publish it. it you have to use their tools and everything for it. Right, which is why people are finding that my trailhead is hmm, not what they wanted it to be. The the my trailhead, right? The where you can use it for your like your company's own LMS. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much it's 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 proprietary. So yeah, and the con the way you generate that content is proprietary. So now you have to learn this other tool and build everything within that. No, it's it's one of those things. And how many times have you heard this? Oh, John, that that thing you built. Well, what what does it take for us just to package up and sell out to other people too? <laughs> <laughs> Of course, every developer's like, well, it actually takes a lot more thought and planning than you put into it. So yeah. I'm going to say never. And yeah. there's no amount of money. Yep. <laughs> but then some pushy executives like, no, we're doing it. We're doing this. You, we, what? If you can't get it done, I'll find someone who can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's, how, been, that's the way it works, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And then, and then someone like me has to come in and unravel all that crap that was built before and try to make it a viable product. Yeah. Then. It's, like a, it's a whole new dimension of thinking about something that you've built. Well, it is. And as, as much as Salesforce likes to paint this picture that the skill set transfers very easily, like you build, you can build an app, point and click and build this app. And now you know how to build an app and you can package that and do whatever you want with it. It doesn't really work that way. Um, it, it works that way for the first time. Sure. Yeah. Package it, deploy it, do whatever you want. Um, but then there's, there's just other things you have to think about. How, what, what are you allowed to update and change moving forward? Uh, even just the secu security decisions you've made. or 
the more common thing is you've built all this stuff around native objects. And there's a lot of restrictions in terms of managed packages and native objects in terms of permissioning and everything else and how you link them up and creating master child dependencies, which don't do that. Yeah. Um, it's, so it gets, it gets to the point where you do this, you think you got it set and then you try to release it and you're like, crap. Yeah. No, there's a lot of gotchas there. Uh, let's see. The, uh, back to the trailhead live. So it, they say we'll focus on uh, Salesforce certification test prep. That makes sense. Um, admin best practices. And the description, that include on, unit the description on that one is build your Salesforce admin career. Oh, that's weird. Is that a best practice to build your Salesforce admin career? I don't know. Anyway, hey, code. The, be the best thing I ever built on Salesforce was my career. Oh, really? Were, were you in before cutting hair? Or? Have you not read that like a million times on their login page? Yes, I know. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, what's next? Oh, code, code live. That's a one word. That's a, like a TM thing. Code live with Salesforce developers. Uh, and then BAM, BAM, virtual summits, B-A-M, all caps. What does that stand for? I don't know. Emerald's going to sue them for it. I know. Yes, yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> Get some cayenne pepper. BAM. <laughs> <laughs> no, they should hire us to do some BAM videos, John. No, we should do that. I heard, I heard a rumor that the reason he started doing that the way he did it was because their shoots were so long. That he was just trying to keep things interesting for the crew that had to just basically sit there and watch him make this same dish like a hundred times. And he would just just yell like that just to kind of wake everyone up and just to kind of keep things moving. So, yeah. no, no, either way, it became a thing. I, was think, I think it was just him trying to find what his signature move was going to be. It's, it's always interesting how people find their catchphrases. I know. All right. Then didn't he get caught up in Me Too or what happened to Emerald? I don't know. Just disappeared. You're tired? Well, I'm, am, I, am I crossing him with... Um, Oh, I know for sure Mario Batali, he got me too'd. But I don't know if uh, Emerald did. He just I don't think so. Okay. I think he just, he had his fun. Yeah. Okay, now we have the trailblazer.me, your, yep. your reinvented resume. Yeah. Your resume for, that, that focuses only on what you've done on Salesforce. I know. Trail, for, forget well, all the, you know, forget your dev work that you did, you know, on JavaScript or Java or anything else like that. No. That doesn't matter. Screw that. It's well, only it's, what you've done on the Salesforce okay, community. So what they say about it is that's, okay, so we're thrilled to announce Trailblazer.me, your reinvented resume. Trailblazer.me is one unified profile that provides current and future employers with a complete view of all your experience, accomplishments, and learnings across Trailhead, Trailblazer community, App Exchange, Salesforce events, and Idea Exchange, and more. More. Yeah. So now you're going to have this one ID that ties all this stuff together, and they're going to be able to track everywhere you go. Yeah. And everything you do. Interesting. So, uh, yeah. You looking forward to that? I think it's a good thing. I mean, it's it, the, having, uh, having multiple accounts and not knowing which one I've used for which thing is kind of annoying. So just the fact of having a unified profile and a unified ID to be able to log into all these different things, that's a plus to me. Is um, it, well, they didn't say that. They didn't say they were going to unify your different accounts you have. Trailblazer is one unified platform that provides current and future employees with a pair of all experience accomplishments where to go. Uh, but if you've got if you've got those spread across different with accounts. With this new unified modern sign-up and login experience across all sites, it's easy to navigate through communities and build your experience. So it's supposed mm. to be your one ID that you unify across everything. Yeah, well, I'd like to see that. I mean, if they accomplish that. But um, given Salesforce's current state of 
I mean, just when I go from trying to get into the partner community to the some MVP thing to a customer thing or whatever, I mean, like the the amount of crap that um, you get bounced, like you try to log in, you get bounced like 82 different redirects and then it ends mm-hmm. up, you know, you get some OAuth there and then you have to like clear your cookies or close your browser down or go into an incognito tab just to log in correctly. And it's like, okay, if they can fix all that, that's that's good. Yeah. I mean, uh, Google kind of did it, right? Well, they kind of have to do it. I mean, if if this is supposed to be your your new resume, something that you carry with you from from job to job, then it would have to be. You wouldn't want it to be directly tied and only accessible from your previous employer's email account that you had that you were given, or your user account that you were given. You'd want it to be something that's portable. So it makes sense that it would they would wrap this around a unique ID that you can carry with you. Yeah, that is. I think unless you link your employer ID to that, too. That's probably what it's like. You like so? Whenever you go to the partner portal and you kind of link yourself to your company so that all your stuff gets applied to that company, your badges and everything as yeah. a consultant, I'm, I'm guessing it's similar similar tech hmm. that you're basically, here's my profile, now I'm going to link it to, to this company or I'm going to link it to this other company. Right. Yeah. Oh, we'll have to see. Anyway, um, hey, there's been some... Uh, just I think I think it was on Slack, our Slack. There's been some discussion about package types and confusion, and and who was it that I thought that someone? Oh, you know what? I I don't have a link to it right now, but um, someone posted something on Twitter that's like, hey, I've I've been looking at this unlocked package thing for like all day now, and I don't see a good use. I don't see a use for it. I don't see how this helps customers. And then of course some conversation ensued. But was there a conversation around that? Um, I thought it was just posted and. There was no conversation. <laughs> I oh, could man. be wrong. Did I post that in Slack? I don't know. I remember seeing that. Yeah, maybe I did. Um, I don't know. I'm not seeing it. I don't know when that was. But anyway, are, are you doing anything with uh, unlocked packages? Or are you still just in all managed package land? Right now, I'm still just in managed package land, and I'm trying to keep it to one package, although I, I like the idea of having multiple packages and separating the code base, but it just it just seems like more more overhead than I want at this point in time. Which one? Having multiple packages or even dealing with an unmanaged package. Okay. Because I thought about the arch- well, because one of my sticking points right now is I do have to integrate with an external service, and I kind of don't want to be on the hook for the external service because I don't own it. I'm integrating with a third-party vendor. And their API, and I thought, okay, well, maybe one way to to fix that is to have an unmanaged package that has the connector for that integration that we can install whenever the client wants that particular integration. But the interfaces and everything are in the core package. It just knows that once it recognizes that unmanaged package library is there, it knows how to interact with it. But uh, I don't know. That just seems like doesn't seem good. Yeah, <laughs> it just doesn't. Okay, so here's the, this is, it was Kevin O'Hare. He said, I've spent a lot of time this week looking at Salesforce unlocked packages, and I'm not seeing any tangible benefits to a custom org. I actually think it's considerably more overhead to an org that's already doing source-driven dev. What am I missing? Oh, uh, so the discussion that it spawned was on Twitter, not on Slack. Okay. Yeah, no, it was, okay. this is, this is a tweet. Um, I don't tweet. I don't, I don't do the Twitters. But then, so, so friend of the show, uh, Leo Alves says, uh, he said the difference is, that instead of a monolith, you get a distributed monolith. He says, I used to be a big advocate of unlocked packages, but after trying to implement them in two big orgs, I went back to the metadata API. And then Kevin says, I'm right there with you. Huh. Um, but then, yeah, there's, I mean, I don't know. 
Uh, there's there's some people with some other ideas that are trying to explain the. Uh, but I don't know. I, I still haven't done much with the unlock packages, but I'm about to do a bunch of packaging stuff. Just I think for our own internal org, or I I would like to look at. We do we have some existing packages and just unlock stuff for internal things, mm. and I want to figure out like just I don't know what's the best thing to do here. But I haven't really studied up on it enough yet. I was wondering if you had, but if not, we can maybe revisit that in the future. It could be something we re revisit. I don't. I don't know. I used to think that packages could be a way, especially un, well, at the time unmanaged, not um, not what we're talking about here. But at the time unmanaged, I thought that would be kind of a good way to kind of package a module together and deploy it and build a deal with it, kind of uniquely. But it just didn't seem to work well. So to me, un and and again, I'm I'm not even sure what second generation packaging means. I, I think I know what managed packages. Well, actually, I take that back. Second generation managed packages are. Um, are a new thing. I don't know if unlocked packages lives under that second generation packages umbrella, though, or if that's just a whole separate thing. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, but I, I kind of draw a line between un what used to be unmanaged and unlocked packages is kind of the way I view them. I think there's a... Honestly, I think there's a, a pretty strong migration path there between... If you're using unmanaged packages for just internal stuff to get stuff into your org from a sandbox or something like that, then you might want to look at unlocked packages. Unmanaged are just, they're, um, they're difficult because it's just, it's just a, it's like you have a bucket of sand and mm -hmm. you want to dump it into this like big, uh, what do you call them, sandbox. And once you dump it in, like all that sand's all mixed in and you can't even find your original, the sand that came out of your bucket anymore. It's just all mixed in. It's just, a, it's a big mess. It's again, it's the happy soup, right? Yeah. Whereas unlocked, you know, it's still, it's. I don't know, it's, it's almost like it's, um, it's strong, it's stronger. It's, you know, it's got, a, it's got an ID, it's got a version, and what's in it, I think the contents are like fixed and version and immutable. Kind of like a git commit or something. It's like, it's totally immutable and it's got a, it's cryptographically, you know, identifiable. Mm -hmm. um, and so once that gets installed into an org, see what I'm not sure, because I'm, I'm not sure unlocked packages have to use a namespace, but because there's a whole upgrade ability, like, oh, what if I install a package and then I want to upgrade it? Well, if it's unmanaged, like, forget it's not happening. Right. Um, and maybe with unlocked, you you can. I'm not. I'm not even sure. So, but I think I do think that's the that's the kind of the 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 upgrade path. And also, unlocked seems to be more for just kind of corporate type development as opposed to ISV development. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Um, one of the cool things about unlocked is. You can, if you do, if you if you're trying to break your happy soup into unlock packages, you can. Um, and this may be the same for second generation managed packages too. But you can, uh, you can have multiple packages actually that share the same namespace. They're still they're namespaced, but they share the namespace same namespace, but they're separate packages, which is right. kind of weird. So no, because I used to think of a namespace as a almost like a unique identifier for a package, but it's not anymore. You can have you could have two different packages that have the same namespace, so any metadata that you put into those packages automatically get prefixed with the namespace. That's not really a unique identifier. Right. And, and I, so I also think what that means is with those two packages, you have to make sure that you don't have any naming conflicts. True. Okay. Um, but, uh, so that's one part of it. The other part of it, though, is that you can share, you can share, you can have visibility from one package to the other. The component, mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, with there's like, I think an attribute you have to use, or what are the, what is Salesforce called? Attributes? Yeah, or, there's, there's an there's an um, annotation namespace annotation. available or visible or something like yeah. that. 
Um, well, that's kind of cool because you don't have to make it global. Right. Um, now, if you're just using that for internal development, I'm not sure how that's super beneficial, but. Well, it can be because traditionally, if you would want, if you wanted to cross between those two different namespaces, you would have to have a global interface. To right. Communicate right. between the two. Right. But uh, for corporate orgs, it's not that big of a deal. You can just make stuff global because you don't, you're not trying to protect IP because it's, it's not being installed into other entities' orgs, other people's orgs. Whereas a managed package, you wouldn't, if you, like say you've got a couple of managed packages for your product that you have, you wouldn't want to make it, well, on global, let's see, how does global work? Is the, is the code, like let's say you package a global Apex class. Mm-hmm. That means that it's accessible from the customer's org, like from the customer's code or whatever. Right. They can see it, but do they get, can they, do they just see like the signatures or do they see the, they just see the code? signatures okay. and they can interact with it. Okay. So you're, you're basically creating a contract and typically those should just be interfaces. You really don't want any concretes, but right. They, those sneak in all the time. Still, still would be useful. I think for ISVs though, to be able to, to be able to say, um, Hey, we're in, you know, you can have two, two different packages in a customer's org that, um, have visibility to each other yet are not visible to the customer. So if that you use that namespace or right. whatever mm-hmm. attribute so that, I don't know, some interesting stuff there. And just the, all the, the whole versioning and also dependencies. I think with unlock managed packages, you can define dependencies. I mean, it, I don't think it has any of that kind of like automatic dependency resolution when you install things or anything, but at least, at least they're documented. And hopefully like if you go to install a package and it's dependencies aren't in there yet, it it's just stops you so that mm-hmm. you don't have broken code. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a pain in the pain in the butt, but at least, it, you know, it's like a fail fast thing. Yeah. Which is always good. Especially with how long it takes to build the package. To like compile and put it in whatever and get it get it into yeah, all the clouds. Yeah, just that upload button to create the package. It takes takes a while. So yeah, and, and there's been there's been a I think there's been some just a lot of variability on how long that takes. I mean, I've I've seen complaints come and go about hey, you know, we're trying to do unlock packages, but it's taking like hours for them to show up anywhere. And it's odd because there are times where I'll see someone kind of piping up about how scratches are taking so long to create, and I'm like, I just created one. I just created two actually in like less than. 10 minutes it just totally depends what pod you're on um yeah. i spun off a full sandbox the other day from a from a on a, on a client's org and their production org running runs just fine this sand this full sandbox is 10 times slower mm. it's on a di- totally different pod though so and each pod has its it has its own performance characteristics i'm sure they're you know they're different sizes and and you know, Salesforce is individually trying to manage demand and performance of pods. You know, each, you know, there's probably a team for each pod yeah. that's just monitoring, adjusting, all that kind of stuff. And so you're going to have pods that perform better than others. And, you know, a pod that performs great today might not perform well tomorrow. True. I mean, if you, you know, someone starts uh, uh, opening up a multi-threaded slamming data load, I don't know. I mean, you and I wouldn't do that. But if someone else did on your pod, you know, that could that could cause you some performance issues. <laughs> I like how you tried to maintain some sense of innocence in your face I'm when you totally said that. innocent, John. I would never do such a thing. I really I really wish the uh one one thing that causes me to have to create scratch works more than I want is uh modification of metadata. Cause sometimes in my dev I have to just tweak some some UI stuff just to show something or pretend I'm a customer configuring it and then using the application. Well, that means that any kind of changes that I make that I do want to end up in my source, I can't do because the, unless I'm wrong, and someone correct me if I'm wrong, but the force source 
cool. It just pulls every all the diffs. It doesn't let you selectively pick one. I could be wrong, but I didn't. I tried it. It doesn't seem to let me. It just pulls everything. What what pulls everything? Any any changes between your source and production metadata? Um. Yeah, yeah. It it pulls them all. I mean, because basically, there's when you. So if I change something, erroneously just change something on an opportunity layout, but I change a permission set and I need to get that permission set change into my source code, I can't just do for source pool because then it'll pull in the opportunity it layout will. changes. Because yeah. it's, it's tracking your org. Has, there's some mechanism where your org is actually tracking cha every change that's made. And so when you do a poll, it just like lines those changes up and yeah. brings them down. So what I end up having to do is create another scratch, make my change, pull that down, and then get that back into my my source. Hmm. So I try to be very careful about those type of changes and I usually have feature branches and those feature branches usually have their own scratches so that I can focus on that kind of stuff. Um, but it does, I think it does create a more, a need for more scratch orgs than I normally would. And thus, I think if, if everyone else is doing the same thing that I'm doing, that increases the demand. And I think if they could just improve the tooling there, they might reduce some of the, some of the, um, Requests and, and things like that. The CPU that's being used for, to do all that. Yeah. That or I'm doing it all wrong and someone will tell me, hey, hey, numbnuts. Probably so. <laughs> so did you see the uh, new AirPod Pros? I saw them. They look cool and I want them, but I'm not ready to spend $250 yet. Yeah. So that's, that's the bad part. Yeah. They do look cool. Uh, I, you know. Because the battery life on my current ones are starting to, to get really iffy. Like, I can maybe get an hour, two hours of music where I used to be able to get quite a bit longer. Oh, mine are too. Yeah. And right. I do the thing where I make sure that my mic is off. So I'll go into the, the, uh, my settings and make sure that the, um, mic on my AirPods isn't on. Yeah. Cause that will, oh, that yeah. will eat up your mm -hmm. battery. Or like, that's another tip. I think I've said, shared that tip before is if you're on a conference call and you're not using, you're just listening in, make sure that the mic is pointed to something else, not your AirPods. So that way you get longer life out of it. But, yeah, I mean, all good stuff. I mean, noise canceling and the the removable uh, rubber tip, which are different sizes, right? They're different it's sizes. Like a, it's yeah. like a fit kit that comes with it. It's supposed to have some tech that's supposed to like automatically adjust the EQ based on your ear and stuff like that. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, the and I wasn't clear to me at first. So I, for a long time, have been buying these um, relatively expensive, whether they're like, you know, usually Edamotic or Sure. Uh, mm -hmm. brands but the um the the earbuds that you know have the big squishy kind of like these like the the squishy foam ones yeah and because they what they do is they completely block you know they completely feel your ear right and block sound mm -hmm. so they're not canceling they're not noise canceling they're noise blocking and they block up to i mean a good one uh can block 50 to 60 decibels and lower outside sounds by 50 to 60 decibels which is really good but there there's not any active you know, circuitry doing any active blocking. Whereas I think with the AirPods, not only do they, are they the kind that they do fill, they kind of expand to fill your ear, mm -hmm. but it's also doing uh, active blocking. Is that your understanding? That's my understanding, yeah. Because when you, um, there's like some button you can push that, that turns, that I guess temporarily turns off the blocking. Did you see that on the, on the little ad? So she's, uh, it's like the woman's on the airplane or something, I guess, and she, the captain starts talking, so she hits, the, there's a, like a, it goes into transparent mode. Mm. And I don't know if it's, what what I'm curious, in addition to stopping the noise canceling, if it's also routing, because you know your ear is still plugged up with something that's blocking noise, even though it's not right. actively canceling, d is it routing outside noise into your ear now? Well, that'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean that's the way I would think you'd do it. Yeah, 
air, I mean, pl- the plane is probably the best use case for this because that's where the I, where the AirPods fail completely for me. Is just you can't get them loud enough. Oh, that no, humming no. of that engine. And if you could, I mean, you the problem is you're putting you know 120 decibels in your ear yeah, at that point. Exactly. Um, no, I always take my those wired know, my noise ones. blocking. Yep, yeah. my wired. Well, I don't blocking. take the noise blocking ones. I do take the wired ones, and I probably should take noise blocking ones because that'll be better for my ears. But yeah, it's so much better. Highly recommend that. Oh well, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Two fifty. That's kind of pricey. It is. Weren't I, the other ones that were like one fifty? Weren't they? yeah, one sixty or something, something like, like that. that. And I wonder. I mean, are they just coming out with a new, a rev, new version of those? Because I think well, I'm, these are. I mean, they they have the pro moniker, which means they're they're meant for audiophiles. I guess is oh, what yeah, they're trying yeah, to yeah. say. But it just means they're more expensive. But yeah, I mean, I guess all the uh, next year they'll be cheaper. I don't know. I'm hoping. But no, I'm so they right. So this one has the pro moniker, which which means that they're. We, we can't rule out that they're going to come out with, you know, Rev 2 of the regular AirPods. No, I think it'll be the same with the phones. Like, the, the current model without the rubber tip and all the fancy tech will just move up, and that'll be the regular AirPods. And now you have your choice between your cheapy and your pro. Are we, saying, you are we saying the same thing? I'm, I'm saying they're going to come out with new AirPods, not pros, just AirPods as well. Oh, no, I'm saying that they'll just say the previous gen. They'll say they're new, but they're the previous generation okay. tech. But well, just, like like the, well, just like, like the iPods, like the, the I'm sorry, the, the iPhone, like the, you had that new shiny new iPhone and they come out with their new phone that has all the colors, but it's, it's the same exact innards. I guess, but with iPhone, there's the iPhone and the iPhone Pro. There's, yeah. there's the non-Pro. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Maybe with AirPods, there will be non-Pro still as well. And um, that, I, I mean, I would, you know, 150 for those, I think is, is an okay deal. I don't know if there's enough market for them to do that. I think they would just, I don't know. I think they're popular. I see them everywhere now. That's true. I do see them everywhere. There's a lot of knockoffs too, or just you know third party ones that were obviously inspired there by the AirPods. Too. Yeah, I just I'm having more and more also just like weird just connection issues. And I think stuff. it's I think that's just the Bluetooth in general. Like I, everything I have connects through Bluetooth, and I think I'm just getting a lot of interference. My mouse, my keyboard, whatever, everything now my AirPods, and it just seems with that combination, it just fails. Yeah, I thought it was just signal interference, but I started just because I'm only listening to music. I started connecting to my phone instead of my laptop to listen to music. And that solved the issue. Mm. Whereas before, if I had my iPod and my, I'm sorry, AirPod and my mouse going, and then my wireless keyboard and wireless trackpad, so I had all those devices going, I would start getting weird stuttering effects or the music would stop playing or it just wouldn't connect. It just... Yeah, I just had the problem, you know, I'll put my AirPods in and sometimes it's sometimes it's 30 to 60 seconds before they connect. I'm like, well, there goes that. I mean, I'm... There goes that phone. I mean, it's not reliable enough at all for phone. If I don't already have the AirPods in and they're connected, I'm not even going to try to answer a call with my, with them. Or you had them on and I tried to call you or you called me. I forgot which way it was. But. I'm just like yelling at my phone. Hang on a second. I'm just waiting for my AirPods <laughs> to connect. It might be two seconds. It might be 20 seconds. I don't know. Yeah. This does what it, I mean, you have the same experience. Uh, I'd actually, you know what? It's funny enough. I don't use them as much as I used to. Yeah. Um, well, one, because I haven't been writing as much as I need to. Um, and two, I've got this new car <laughs> and so I'm able to run my, I have CarPlay now. Yeah. And so that took over a lot of what I was using the AirPods for, cause I would basically pop them in and drive and do everything from that. But now that I have the CarPlay, I use them a little bit less. Yep. However, on long road trips, I do still use them cause I'm competing with everyone else in the car and I'd rather just have my private, you know, whatever I'm listening to. Yep. Um, have you followed any of the MacBook Pro 16 inch news? No, I've been avoiding it. Okay. Because I, I probably want to buy one, but I can't. <laughs> I was going to ask you, because they're probably coming out. I mean, people have talked about 
I mean, this past week, people have said, we think it might be coming out tomorrow or whatever. And then, mm-hmm. of course, it hasn't happened. But it's, I think it's that soon. It's, it could, it's going to be very soon. So are you, so you are not going to go out and buy one, probably? I'll, I'll probably wait another year. I, I'm recovering from such expensive Oh, year. yeah. I know. Well, you're, you know. You've got, you've. Remodel, vacation, yeah. uh, my wife's car, new puppy. <laughs> it's just been a very expensive year. Yeah. So. How's the puppy? Uh, we visited it once. Um, my wife wants to go back and visit him again. Oh, it's still, weekend. that's right. still at the, the, yeah, he's still there. nursing, so yeah. we can't bring him home. Okay. Um, we'll be, we'll get to bring him home. I think mid November is when okay. we get to bring him home. So hmm. and time for the holidays. Yeah. Isn't that special. Yeah. I'm sure you'll, 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 you'll hate all the photos she'll be taking on Facebook. I'm sure <laughs> she'll just blast them all. Yeah. No, uh, pu- uh, puppy photos are good. Yeah. Everyone likes puppy photos. Well, so some potentially good news on the MacBook Pro 16, depending on what you wanted out of it. Um, it's supposedly uh, based on some photos, I guess, they, they put in the OS. Did you, so they accidentally, I guess, shipped some, some photos. Um, I didn't hear about this. In, in some OS update, but yeah, but supposedly it's going to have um, a separate power key. So the little power thing will be separated and also a separate es- es- escape key. So the power key would be separate from the fingerprint reader? Um, no, just it will be, there'll be some some aluminum in between oh between that, the two mm-hmm. okay it'll be separate from the track to the, uh, the touch pad what the hell is that thing called track no touch, touch bar? bar touch bar <laughs> why why was that an issue that they had to separate it i don't know there was an issue i just think that's it was if you didn't know this computer real well and you told someone hey turn that computer on they'd look at it and go i have no idea where the power button is <laughs> that's right <true>. <laughs> <laughs> you just have true. to know that's true because it's 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 symmetrical and the other side of it just has a that, black area. Yeah, but yeah, right. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. But, but no, that, that, that touch screen does, that uh, fingerprint reader does bug me because you, you can tap on it. Oh, no, right next to it is the stupid Siri button. And I oh, always end up accidentally tapping. I think that. I have that moved. You don't move your stuff around? No. No. Oh. I, I did enable I, uh, IntelliJ's uh, force uh, function keys to the touch bar. Oh, does IntelliJ have that? Yeah. So I still I still use um, Better Touch Tool. Yeah. Um. So it's it's outside of IntelliJ. But anytime I anytime I, you, you know, IntelliJ is the front facing app. It switches all back to F keys. Yeah. So IntelliJ has a an option oh, for okay. that. So does it does it light the touch bar up with the F keys when you? Yeah. Okay. So it can yeah. it knows that. That's cool. Um. But no, the we're bearing the lead, which is the separate escape key. That's huge. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I. Have since this touch bar, I've I mapped uh, my caps lock to escape. I left caps lock, Aww. so that's my escape key. I just, I've gotten used to it. I mean, anyone who uses Vim, you know, you gotta have a you gotta have a separate escape key. Well, I've gotten used to it. However, um, my mechanical keyboard is a different layout. I don't have that function key, and that fun- where that function key is on my laptop is where the control key is. And I'm now because I'm switching between the two more often. I'm fumbling a lot, but um, it'll be nice to. I don't know. I, it'll be nice to get these kind of fixed. Yes. So I have actual buttons again. Yeah. I used to think that, that the future was in a full touchscreen keyboard, but I'm, I don't know. Oh, I've gotten not used to it. I'm Why a, would you say that? You're, you're Mr. You know, anti-soft keys, just like me. No, right? I, I, I okay. am. But I'm saying the way the trend was going. And I, I was looking at my kids who have never touched a real keyboard. They, they know the touch device. They're used to it. They, it doesn't bother them like it bothered me. So I figured... Well, that's the way it's going to go, and I'm going to get left behind. With I'm going to be the old guy on the, on his lawn telling kids to get off with their fancy screen keyboards. But I don't know. 
And I used to think the idea of switching keyboards was was great, but now that we have that feature on iOS, I really don't use it. I mean, I, I have the Grammarly keyboard. That's about the only one that I use, but it's slow. So I always have to switch out of it when I want to. Oh, yeah. I, I heard, I, I think I had that Google keyboard, mm -hmm. but I, well, by the way, it had some security vulnerability, but uh, I used it for a while. It was pretty cool. You could, what was it about it? You could just like slide your fingers around, but I guess yeah. you can do that with iOS now anyway. You but. can. Um, yeah, but there was, uh, I guess, you know, it's, so it's going to have it's back to the scissor key things. But other than that, there was apparently not a lot of change, which so some people are disappointed, but whatever. <laughs> disappointed in how? Just because there wasn't enough? There wasn't more difference. I mean, I wish, I want the powerful laptop, but I don't want the touch bar. That's my thing. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I thought it would be a great idea, and I think on paper it is. I just don't use it. Maybe someone else uses it a lot more than I do, but I don't. But I don't know. I just wish they would they would have come out and said, okay, well, you know, it was a good idea, but it just hasn't really worked out. Maybe it has worked out. I mean, I do use people. it for like the, the brightness and for the volume, but that's about it. Yeah. It's kind of an expensive volume bar, isn't it? Yes, definitely. All right. Well, um, let's see. So Fitbit is, uh, looks like they're going to get bought. So Benioff's going to get more billionaire. He's going to get richer. Yeah. In case you didn't think that was possible. Uh, Darn capitalism. Yeah, exactly. We got to <laughs> get rid of this capitalism. It's no good. And it's like, I can't stand this capitalism. I just keep getting richer. I don't know. <laughs> just sitting around eating mustard burgers and I get richer every day. I don't understand this. <laughs> I do want a mustard burger. Does that sound good? Sounds good. Um, you follow this Jedi contract that, that got awarded finally? Jedi contract? Well, it's like the, what is it, Joint Enterprise Defense Initiative. So it's a giant uh, cloud computing bid that, that the Defense Department put out. It's been in the news for like a year. Because hmm. um, they're going to pick, you know, AWS or Google or Azure or Oracle, I guess. Oracle was in the running, or they thought they were. They wanted to be. <laughs> um, but no, it's been, it's been a big thing because um, I think Oracle has complained and supported and I don't know, supposedly Trump um, is, you know, anti, he doesn't like Jeff Bezos. So people are, and in fact, there's people already saying now, because Amazon didn't get picked. So uh, Microsoft got picked. And people are saying that, you know, Amazon's going to sue now because they're going to say, well, you know, Trump doesn't like Amazon. So that's why we lost. I mean, I wouldn't think Trump had much of an input on that. Uh, you know, the Defense Department says that they didn't, uh, that he didn't, and that, you know, they have, they have, I, mean, I guess they'd released or they have all this um, super in-depth criteria and, you know, yeah. probably reams and reams and reams of analysis and all that stuff. So, but, you know, well, but, uh, <laughs> uh, it's interesting though, you know, since, since the defense department's going to be running uh, Microsoft now, uh, brings a whole new meaning to the uh, blue screen of death, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> It's so funny that I, what, I can't take what, ten years ago, they, they, <laughs> Microsoft and the government were in such a, in such a battle over their monopoly, and now they're they're put moving a big part of their tech on it. Yeah. Oh, that was weird. Someone's doing something to my calendar. Um, let's see what else, John. What's on your? Uh... I didn't have much. I mean, I've I've been spending. I've been. I've had monotonous days for since last week so i don't know i'm on my week and a half of monotony monotony so you show up and monotony. you got nothing to talk about nothing on your mind huh 
Oh, I've got a lot on my mind. I've got all this unit testing that I'm... It's not refactoring. It's just getting them up to code. You are, what's it called? Working effectively with legacy code? Yes. Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're adding tests around legacy code. Yes. Yeah. So I'm bringing them up to... I feel like I'm... T I'm, so, I'm so, I have to have my house remodeled in, in my brain. So everything I think of for analogies is around that. So I'm trying to bring everything up to code so I can start refactoring a bunch of stuff and run my tests and then I can refactor those again and well, not refactor it, but basically start deprecating stuff and adding new stuff. Yep. Um, but there's a lot of things I have to fix in order just to get it to pass, you know, whatever ana analysis that I have. I am working with a new tool right now. Um, I'll probably talk about it here soon, but I, I had a, I reached out, I think I told you that I was looking for some analytics tools to kind of help me just kind of gauge um, how bad the code is and, you know, where my problem areas are. I knew what to look for. Um, I just wanted some numbers on it. Mm -hmm. um, so I did work with this tool that I found. I think I, think I saw it on a tweet by Matt Morris, um, but I'll talk about it more some other time. But I had a conversation with the developer, a small, small dev group and everything, and it looks pretty cool. It works pretty cool. But uh, I think maybe in a month's time, I'll talk more about my experience with it. Is it like a static analysis tool or? Kind of. Okay. I, I think it's trying to, to do a little bit more than that. I think it, it is static. Um, however, it does try to do more than just kind of first pass. It does try to go into the, your, your different hierarchies of code execution. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how it's going to accomplish that or how it does accomplish that, but it's supposed to be a little bit better than the stuff we have out there, like check marks and everything else. So, okay. uh, that's the ambition at least. Yeah. Is it, is it measuring like, you know, complexity of code and just supposed to okay. it's trying to get there it has a bunch of different rule sets and things just for the common things but then it also tries to to try to dig a little bit deeper deeper and try to infer a little bit more about it but um like i said it's early days with me testing this out and seeing how it works this code base i'm dealing with is is probably one of the better use cases for it in terms of just letting it run through all its rules and catch a bunch of st stuff <laughs> um uh, because there's a lot of bad practices in here there's a lot of just wacky things going on in here um and there's things that are just hidden among these really weird ways of developing like they're just not readable i i saw this one this one part of the code where it actually creates an array of queries it, it's actually so it does the syntax where you open up a an array you know your bracket array and then for each each comma there's a sql select statement and it does that like 10 times to create this like grouped merging of records and i'm like i've never seen that before it works, <laughs> but I've never seen that before, and it was just, it grossed me out. Yeah. <laughs> um, another weird thing I saw was uh, the Intel, or Illuminate Cloud flagged it as a bug, but it compiles, and that's the, um, uh, what's that operation the, where you use the question mark, what's that called? Ternary operation. Ternary operation. Okay. It had that with a colon, but without the question mark. So it just had that colon and then another value, and that compiled, and it worked. But I don't know what it's doing. It should have a question mark there, but it doesn't. It should have, yeah. for the ternary operation, it should have three values. And I don't know if I'm missing something, but it looked like it was variable equals a function that returns a value, yeah. colon, and then another value. But it compiles, and it runs, and the tests run, and it flags it as getting executed. I don't know how it's working. It's just something I noticed. That's interesting. So I got to dig into that more, more and understand why that's there and how it works. Because yeah. that shouldn't work. <laughs> I mean, that's not 
I don't see, I guess I don't see how that can be a turnary operator. I'm trying to think of what else the colon does. I thought, I thought I screwed it up and I, was, I went back to the version control because normally it turns my file name blue if I cha- make a change because it's not, inver- it's not uh, committed yet. And I was like, well, no, it's still white. It's, it's fine. I never changed this file. And I yeah. went back to version control. No, I didn't change it. It's been like that. So I, either I'm missing something, I'm really blind, or there's some syntax that I'm aware, unaware of, but it was there. Mm. And I just did not understand it. So... That's strange. Yeah, it's it's always weird when you get um, like eliminated cloud telling you something's not good when it actually is good, or or vice versa, which doesn't doesn't have very often happen very often. Yeah, but sometimes yeah, they're, 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 something gets something gets confused at some point. I don't know if it's Salesforce yeah. or the tooling or what, but I do have to on occasion kind of just do a force rebuild all. But I this code base is so weird. I, it doesn't surprise me that it has a hard time reading it because I have a hard time reading it. It's just, it's weird. It's really crazy. Yeah. What people, how creative people get at making something really easy look really hard or something, something, making something they're, easy. They're making everything really hard, hard, right? Yeah. 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 No, and I sometimes I, wonder if I do that. And I'm sure I have done that in the past. Why? I don't think so. I Because I, I do get a little abstraction heavy sometimes. You know, I, I, I do tend to put in too many layers of abstractions and I know that's a problem of mine that I got to fix. Um, but I'm always thinking about configurability. I'm always thinking about, you know, trying not to create, you know, deep dependencies and all that kind of stuff. And so sometimes I get a little overboard. And if I do go back and read my code, even though it's well written and and named properly, it does get to kind of get a little difficult to follow. Um, but I've never seen anything like this before in this this code. I mean, I've seen bad code, but this is weird. Yeah. Bad code. Yeah. <laughs> weird. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's just really weird. I'm like, how does that work? How did you even think of that? How did you read that and go, that's good? Yeah. Compile. Yeah. Post to production. Yeah. How did commit to the to master? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who who when presented with that problem said, This is how I'm gonna solve that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is wrong with your brain? <laughs> yeah. So I I'm just coming across that everywhere. And it, it's it's a very um it's an exercise in patience because right now I'm only focused on the unit test. I'm not changing any current logic. My goal is to get the unit test there so that when I change logic, I can run it and it should all be fine with my refactoring. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, it's a layered approach. It's a layered cake. I got to fix, I got to minimally modify the unit tests, minimally modify the source code. And then, and then I'm in a position where I can start blowing away code and start rewriting things. But I have to do it in this phase because otherwise I might break something that I don't have requirements for anymore. And I just don't want to be in that position where I'm having to mad dash build something new. I want to be able to take this and, and take my time in doing it right. So I'm having to go through this phased approach. But it's really hard when I'm writing the unit test and I see a bug in the code or I see something that's wrong in the code or I see code just that's never going to execute. Or there's no reason to do that in the code. And for me to not want to touch it or to not touch it. I want to touch it. but I. I shouldn't touch it. And so, <laughs> so that's my position. I'm, I'm writing all these tests and I'm trying not to touch that code. So it's, it's, um, it's in frustrating. It's been tedious, uh, but it, hopefully it'll all be worth it in the end. And I'll have a great story to tell how I turn this around. But um, I think one of the tricky things about that, John, is that when you're, when you're going and adding test coverage to a legacy code base that doesn't have enough or any test coverage, because you're trying to create a safety harness so that you can then go in and refactor and change things, knowing that if you break something, you'll, your test will let you know that you've broken right. something. Yep. The tough thing about that is when you add tests, 
and and your tests pass, you're like, oh, okay, my tests are passing. But you don't know that your test is really uh, like testing the right things like, I, because yeah, because you didn't start out with a failing test, and then you had then you developed code that made the test green and to to prove that what the test is looking for is actually is actually being fulfilled by that code. Right. So it's it's just hard to know that your test it's almost like you have to like write a test, break the code a little bit so the test doesn't pass and then put the code back so that it, you do see it just so you know that I mean I guess I made that mistake before I like I'd create a test for something and and then I run the test and it's working and then I realized that it's working not because of the right thing because uh, I didn't actually I'm not actually testing the thing I thought I was testing. Yeah. You know, maybe some maybe some triggers find a different object and it's it's you know, it's so it's it's yeah yeah, yeah it's, it's tricky. I've had plenty of situations like that in doing this, and I've had to kind of beef up some of my. I had to create some helper methods that I know are going to be throwaway just to validate some things. They they this application throws around JSON like like no business. Oh, I know. It's just throwing yeah. JSON everywhere. It's just puking it up everywhere. Just blah, it's just like, everywhere. <laughs> it's like pretty much <laughs> every problem they try to solve. They're like, well, can you do it with JSON? Yes. Okay, do it. Yeah. <laughs> And it's really inconsistent. Sometimes they have this kind of builder class that 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 it, everything kind of gets turned into. Sometimes it's just a map object. Sometimes it's just a string. Even when you're passing variables into the method, it just expects a JSON of, know, of an ID. I'm like, oh, yeah. you're just passing in an ID. <laughs> I know. Why does it have to or be a JSON? list of IDs? Why does it have to be JSON? <laughs> <laughs> what is this Mongo? <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, gosh! But yeah, it's it's a it's been an experience, and I'm only. I, I sorted everything, so I, I'm in the I'm in the, the C's finally. I had to go through all the A's. Now I'm, I was in the B's. I'm in the C's oh, now. Class names? Yeah. Oh, you're just going alphabetically, huh? Well, I'm just going top down. I'm just looking That's, for every test class. And it's an interesting uh, way to approach it. Yeah, I, I even within the class itself, I even turned on Illuminate Cloud or IntelliJ plus whatever my IDE. Yeah. Is really good about sorting the the structure, the outline of my code. My IDE, that's my good. IDE. <laughs> um, so I'm able to sort by you know public and private, and then also by name. So I'm able to kind of organize, and then I'd write, I look at the test from that perspective, so I don't miss anything. Um, but yeah, I've I've have I've littered that thing with to dos of deprecation, to dos of fixes. Found a bunch of permission issues because they used master detail relationships with standard objects, which you're not supposed to do, which explains why they have this this massive, not this massive, but this miss, missing permission set that I didn't understand why they had. Now I do understand why they had that in the package, and I just need to fix it all. Yeah. Uh, there's going to be a lot of objects I have to rebuild and, and port over, which will be fun. Uh, it's just... Mm. Uh. Um. I saw something. I'm trying to think of who I need to give credit. This may be another. I think this actually was another um, Leo Alves thing. This might have been in our Slack. I can't recall. But there's this um, popped up in the what's it called? The Agenda Builder or what's the Dreamforce? I think it's Agenda Builder. Is that what it's okay? Yeah. So that's open now. I guess I need to look at it so I can. Oh, that's right. My you're things. going. Yep. But you're there's for a, sure going. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I booked a flight, so. Well, that's pretty for sure. Yeah. And I didn't buy travel insurance on it. Or whatever it's called. That's cool. Uh, mm -hmm. But anyway, there's this session on something called entity objects. Have you heard of this? No. Sounds interesting. Let me read this. Salesforce objects are the building blocks of what has made Salesforce the number one CRM in the world. World, world. These objects are the entities that customers interact with on a daily basis. 
entity interfaces, entity interfaces, capitals, capital E, capital I, are the next generation of Salesforce objects. These are objects, or sorry, these objects are created to address challenges that we and customers like you are facing when managing and interacting with related data in a complex data model. Challenges like, have you ever needed to get details from multiple objects using a single query? Have you, I'm not even sure what that means, but have you ever decided to bring the concept of inheritance to Salesforce objects before? And have you ever needed to create a UI, build a report or code validation logic agnostically on data from multiple objects? If you have, join this session to learn how we use entity interfaces to solve these problems. Something you create an, an entity interface, it's like, okay, this, it's, this is a, an animal entity and it's going to have, um, you know, uh, these, I mean, it's going to have a field called name, a field called blood type, and a field called, you know, is vertebrate, mm -hmm. yes or no, right? And then you have other entities that can inherit those. And so you're, you know, you have like compositional objects. Okay. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it does. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know where they're going with that, but it's definitely, I mean, it, it makes my uh, CS. I'm pretty sure .NET has an entity object interface for things like that. A what? There, there's, there, it's been a while. It's been a long while, but I think, I think there is, I remember thinking that there was an entity object. Oh, you think of the entity framework? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I, I'm sure Entity Framework does does uh, does have. Um, you can. You're basically you're like your your database. Uh, yeah, it kind of maps everything to your. Yeah, your maps DTOs. Your DTOs mm -hmm. Yeah, and they can. You can have composition amongst. Yeah. Or not composition in inheritance, right? Yeah. Uh, amongst your amongst your DTOs, which is kind of cool. I actually use it to avoid that. I do a lot with um, like Hibernate and similar things in the Java space, and I tend to avoid um, inheritance with DTOs. I don't know. I mean, it's, it can be powerful when you need it, and it can reduce, actually reduce complexity, make, make things a little cleaner. It's just I feel like I never have a strong enough use case to get over the, the just the extra magic that's happening. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think implementing this in Salesforce, unless they, they have some, some new tools to do it, I think it'll be very, really labor-intensive and really tough to maintain, to be honest. Um, there's a lot of, there's, there's, it's probably to do it right, there's some interfaces and abstractions that have to happen. Probably some factories to make sure everything gets loaded up correctly, and then if this is going to be surfaced up to your UI layer, then you'll definitely have to run it through some kind of security field level method that will strip things out of it. Um, well, at least if you're doing managed packages. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, let's see. I had um, I don't know. We could talk about all the all the crazy Facebook stuff that's happening. Uh, did you, did you see any of the um, interview that are not, what are the, what's it called? Testify. Uh, when Zuckerberg went and testified this past week. No, that I was, mean, that I was actually it, really interesting. I, just... I mean, I've never found, found myself um, siding with Zuck more really? than right now. Yep. Um, so since I haven't been paying attention, I mean, I know what it's about. It's about their wanting to create a currency. Uh, no, I, I, well, I, so all the clips I saw of it had nothing to do with that. Really? Yeah. It was all, it was way more about, I mean, more like, uh, more on the privacy and, and the real, the big, the big thing is, um, like, I guess fake or, or not non-truthful ads. So, oh, so a lot of these politicians want Facebook to be the truth police on any and all ads on Facebook. But who's truth? Exactly. And that's why this is a really dangerous path to go down. And I don't, I don't think there's any way that Facebook can, can win at this at all. Um, the only thing they have, they do have a, 
Um, they do have a panel, and it's um, some independent organization that I don't know if Facebook puts together has put together or if they've um, Facebook has formed it. But it's independent of Facebook; it's not run by Facebook supposedly. And they they picked you know these qualified people to run it. But it's um, it, the the goal is it's not really to be the truth police of ads, but it's basically to if there's anything that crosses some threshold of like. Um, let's say that someone put an ad out that said uh, voting, you know, like and voting day is like this day. And it's actually, that's a lie. It's like the day before. They mm-hmm. don't want people to vote. Um, it would stop things like that. Um, but, you know, he's just getting grilled by what were really kind of a bunch of dummies, uh, Congress people. Mm. I mean, I heard some of the stupidest questioning I've ever heard like, in my life. They, they understand technology. They don't understand technology, and they're just they're just trying to use their five minutes to get on the news, and they just sound like total dummies because they don't know what they're talking about. Mm. So that's always been the case when it comes to technology and and politicians. For some reason, they just they just don't get it. Yeah, and I can't remember the, is. When Benioff is criticizing Facebook, does he talk about the ad truthfulness, like the, the fake news stuff? Or is, is he more the, on the addictiveness? I think he's more on the addictiveness. He's also on the... Well, I think he's a little bit on the side of them policing more. I think he is, too. Yeah. I just don't think there's... I mean, really? We need, we're going to have ad... Play? I mean, I thought that's what the voters... If you're talking about like political stuff, I mean, I thought that's what my job as a voter to do, is like decide who, who I think is has the best plan and who's telling the truth. I mean, politicians lie constantly all the time. It's like, you can't, no one can, cre- you can't create a law that says politicians can't lie. I mean, they lie all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, well, then you have to figure out, well, we have a commission to figure out who's lying. We can have one of these uh, fact checker orgs that, you know, I mean, uh, truth is a, truth is a squishy thing. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's an answer to it. I just, it's just one of those new things that we have to deal with, I guess. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought that a single website would kind of create its own subnet that, that was this big? I mean, the, the internet was huge and distributed, and you could have whatever you oh, want it's, out there. It's, it's back to, um, what now, was like America Online, almost. Yeah, <laughs> now it's back to this kind of single, isolated app that, that for some reason, has a lot of eye, enough eyeballs that it's, it's becoming an issue. I mean, there have got to be somewhere on the order of hundreds of millions of people who think Facebook is the internet, basically. Yeah. I mean, I think I have some family members that fit into that. That's scary. Yeah. I mean, they, they open up the browser and they type, they don't even have, they don't even, I think they just type Facebook in the address bar. And of course it does like a, a Google search and then they just click on the top thing. And yeah. that's how they get, that's how they log on to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, funny, but kind of sad and scary. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, so we got that, but I don't really want to get into it. I mean, it, it actually is interesting. Um, if you can... I recommend people going and reading some of the, or listening to some of the, or, or watching, I guess, the videos of some of the, some of those uh, interrogations, I guess, that he was getting. Because he handled it really well. I thought he, I don't know, again, I'm not, I, it's, it, I find it odd to, uh, to be uh, kind of, I guess, taking, I don't know if I'm, I just, I'm, like, I'm, I'm trying to think, like, what could he have done that's better? What could they do that's better that wouldn't have even worse consequences? And I just, I'm like, I don't, See, I don't see a, uh, no one's got a, a great solution. And, yeah, and they're just bloviating. It's just like, okay, whatever. But they're uh, pretty interesting. Um, there, there were some entertaining ones, I can tell you that. Yeah. Uh, Facebook announced, speaking of Facebook, that they're going to spend a billion dollars to fix, to help fix California's uh, housing problem. A billion? Is, yeah, this is uh, a billion. 
Yeah, I'm not making that up. How are they going to do that? Oh, well, because they have a lot. They get they make a lot of money, so. But I mean, what are they going to put that money to? Uh, so they're going to invest $100 billion to spur the construction of 20,000 new housing units in Silicon Valley and the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, Isn't that how the products were created? I mean, these basically will be products, right? Yeah. Yeah, of some sort. That didn't work out very well for people. Uh, well, John, you know, these are, uh, you know, billionaires and politicians trying to solve homelessness. So, uh-huh. you. Okay. Solve the symptom. Yes. And, and uh, here's an interesting quote, though. This is um, Facebook CFO. So in, in San Francisco, uh, $100,000 per year is considered low income. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Some people just need to move. <laughs> there, there are other states with, you know, better cost of living. Okay, so they're talking about, you know, multifamily units, which is probably, imagine like a, I don't know, like a two or three bedroom apartment or duplex or something like that. Uh-huh. How much do you think it costs to build one of those units? Like something that would hold one family in the state of California. Oh, I have no clue. I wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, $425,000. And they say it's actually, that was a 2016 number. They think the today number is probably $700,000. To build an apartment? A, a project apartment that will hold, you know, a family, whatever a family is. That's part of the problem, right? Leave with this housing problem. Leave. I know. I don't understand go that. Buy, go, just go buy them a house somewhere for <laughs> I know. for one hundred fifty. <laughs> Put them in the suburbs, and you know. I mean, not that I want everyone's problems, but send them, send people to places like Texas or whatever, where uh, you know you can. Dude, you live like a king for that much money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> um, also interesting. Uh, so there's $50,000 per unit that just ends up getting eaten by city development fees. Well, yeah, because you got to have the infrastructure for it. you got to have the school system for it. you got to have the, the policing for it. It's just... Oh, I think we're just, I think we're just talking about, like, um, all your permitting fees and things like that. Oh, well, well then tack on that Inspection other stuff fees. I said, because yeah. that's going to... That has to come into play, too. Well, and also, I mean, I'm assuming if you can't afford a house, you, these people are also people who probably aren't paying any tax, right? So they're, you're adding on these people... You're te- and you are putting more stress on the schools, the policing, the utilities, all the stuff. And these people, people who are probably not able to contribute to that. So that's, that's a problem. Uh, anyway, this guy, Senator Scott Weiner, or Weiner, I don't know, uh, Democrat San Francisco says, the $1 billion might not add up to all that much housing. Which is sad. <laughs> I know. I just, I can't fathom that much money not going so far. I just. I, to me, it just comes down to they're just trying to cram too many people in there. And these, yeah. I mean, I don't understand why some of these tech companies like, get Move. another office somewhere. Yeah. There are, you know, you don't have to keep, you know, um, you know, offshoring and, and importing and all this stuff. There are plenty of other places around the country where there are better Workforce. There are workforces that are qualified. That are uh, the cost of living is way more reasonable. It'll make you a more competitive company, and and where you can develop. I mean, it takes time, mm-hmm. but if these people want to put their money where their mouth is and actually and, and, and do the things that they say they want to do, um, start developing, start developing talent and human resources right in these other parts of the country. Wasn't that what Salesforce is doing? With, I don't know. I don't. I mean, the creation of what six million jobs in twenty twenty four or something. 
Yeah, I don't know. They they have offices. I mean, Salesforce is still like one, for example, one of the top you know H one B companies, and so they're still you know it's like but it, that's that's a bit tough to quantify though because they have so many mergers and acquisitions that operate on different scales, different locations, different scales. Yeah, I just think you know these companies that that are have a voracious appetite for um, you know people of these certain skills. Like you need to get. You need to go outside of the Bay Area. You can only you can only cram so many people in there, and it's such a limited. And also, you know, you you beat yourself up over you know, um, the 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 average skin color of your company or any of that any of that kind of stuff. I mean, go to other areas where there's just different types of people, and there's more people, and they're again the cost of living is like the big thing, you know. Yeah, and you just. I don't know. People can't afford to live in these areas because they've become the demand for housing there is so high that if you don't make, you know, half a million dollars a year, you can't can't afford it because houses are in the millions. What do you think that's some of the problem is that that the the business itself is just so reliant on such a high skilled workforce that take the time to develop makes them not able to compete? I just think their long term development plan for that workforce is is what's flawed. You I mean, isn't that there. what why these people these companies flock to San Francisco and areas like that where they say this is where the tech people are, these is where the these are where the people are that yeah, we need them. I know that and, we need, and it just seems odd that that that's the only place to get that they can get them, or is it just lip service to say this is where we want to be? We're because we're king of we're king of our neighborhood, right. so why leave? I mean, there's there's different opinions. Some people, you know, uh, if you want to be taken the most seriously, you got to be in the Bay Area if you're in a, you know if you're in tech or whatever. But you know, there's a lot of uh, companies that have bucked that trend and have opened you know there's i mean dude everything from detroit and of course you know, you know uh, new york but i mean a lot of these cities have you know austin they've got you know growing uh, tech industries where there's they're develop attracting and, and also developing um high-tech workers but these companies i mean yeah these that that, that have long-term business plans and and they need to be hiring you know tens if not hundreds of thousands of people they need to they need to have better plans that have something to do with you know, developing talent in other, just outside of the San Francisco Bay Area. Which, well, I mean, we do kind of see that with Amazon and their their bid for, you know, for, for another headquarters and a distribution or whatever it was. Which they ended that, right? Did they end that? Yeah, they pulled they pulled out of that. That was New York, and they just said... Yeah, but uh, I thought they moved it somewhere else. Like, they're still maybe doing they it, did. But they I, moved it somewhere uh, else. Maybe so. I feel like I should know what it is, though, if they yeah. did. Guess. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just glad it wasn't here. That would have yeah. been a mess. I guess the other problem is, is that if you have a, if you're in the tech and you have this, you're, everything's built around this application, how distributed do you want to be with that, the development of that? I mean, is it better to have all your smart people in one room? Which that, that's just, that's just, that doesn't hold water because the Einstein guys are up in Washington still, aren't they? Um, I Weren't don't they in know. Seattle? Um, I, they, so Salesforce does have that office. Yeah. Um, Their marketing cloud is in Indian. Indiana? Indiana, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, where's Tableau? I don't know. But you know what's interesting? Speaking of Tableau, apparently there is, uh, someone was saying that there's really not any Dreamforce content for Tableau. And it's because technically, they're not. Well, so the deal closed, the deal technically closed here, but it hasn't made its way through, I think it's European regulatory approval yet. Yeah, I heard, and so I heard it got hung up in the UK. Um, well, I think it's the e, uh, EU stuff. I'm one of those two-letter things. <laughs> when are they? When are they going to Brexit? Oh, I don't know. That's, <laughs> I think it got delayed oh again. I'm not following it, but I thought I, I, I heard some rumblings, then I heard it got delayed, and so I don't know. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, so maybe not a lot of Tableau this year at Dreamforce. Or what are they calling it? Is there a name for it yet? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. If there is, they're not going to say anything until Dreamforce. I remember MuleSoft was the same way because it was, it was right before Dreamforce too, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Or was it Trailhead? No, it was Dreamforce. Dreamforce? Okay. Yeah. But they were already calling it the integration cloud. Well, they had a bunch of slides, and so if you were happened to be in some session or something where they showed that slide, they're like, "Don't say anything about this. This mm. is what this is what's being announced. Yeah. Don't mention that we're in this circle yet." And and then they they'll announce it, but yeah. So who knows? They might they might. Uh, I, I guess it depends on their confidence level of getting past all the regulatory stuff wherever they're having in the hang up. I mean, yeah. it, it seems it's it it would it seems like it would be surprising if that didn't make it through somehow. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see it not going through. Yeah, and that's that's also it's it's not like I don't I don't see it as making the uh, analytics market, you know, non-competitive just because Salesforce bought one analytics company. Yeah, I don't see that either. Yeah. I mean, Tableau. I mean, I'm not saying Tableau isn't isn't good. I'm just saying there there are bigger players out there. You have IBM and you have Microsoft both with very huge product or, bases. Oracle has got two, like, at least two huge ones. Yeah, so um, it's not like... Yeah, it's Click, not like who bought, is ClickTool still separate? Aren't they in... I thought that was a mic... Uh, Let's see. Who did get ClickTools? Maybe that was Oracle. No, that's not ClickTools. It, that's something I know else. What you're talking about. Sorry, is it Click? With like a... Is it spelled weird or something? I don't know. Uh, is it the K Q Q Oh yes, Q L I K. Sorry, spelling it wrong. Uh, yes, you have Click. You know they're a big deal. Six hundred and sixty-five million dollars in revenue. Yeah, so they're not the only player in the game. So. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, well, John, it's just it's a way. Uh, it's just just you just got to grease the wheels. You got to play the game. Oh yeah, they'll they'll get it through. They um, God, what happened? They they had some kind of snag before on on uh with the eu and they got it through so i'm sure they still have their lawyers in place <laughs> oh yeah sure could have been mulesoft who knows well uh john that's uh i think that's all i got for today yeah, i'm tired i am tired actually i'm tired and i'm sick i was up a lot last night i um yeah i took a nap yesterday I wish I would have today. I just didn't have time. It's like I really needed today. Should have been a nap day for me, but I just, no, I just didn't have I, time. I've been feeling bad. I've been taking medicine, so I'm kind of groggy as it is. And then I'm doing this very tedious, mind-numbing work. And there are a few times I fell asleep with my hand on the enter key, and just scrolled down. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm gonna take 15 minute nap. Yeah, and uh, get back to it. Yeah. So, yeah. all which right. Is, which is a nice luxury working from home. You know, yes. you can't do that in an office right? without people frowning on you for just taking a necessary mental break so you can be productive. That's why I don't want one of those WeWork offices with glass walls. It's true. Can you take a nap in there if you do that? I mean, it would seem weird. I mean, you could. No one cares. Does WeWork have uh, nap rooms? I think they do. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> you just go into one of the, the booths or something. Oh, you can't sleep in there. Stuff. That's like sleeping standing up almost. That's true. Anyway. Yeah. All right, well, let's wrap it up. Uh, uh, dear listener, if you have not uh, joined or explored our Slack yet, you should check it out. Uh, just go to gooddayserpodcast.com, click on community, and uh, John will add you. Uh, shoot us an email, info at gooddayserpodcast.com with uh, topics or questions, whatever. 
Um, what else, John? Share us with your your friends, your enemies. Well, probably, maybe not your enemies, unless they're, I don't know, funny or uh, smart or interesting. They could be frenemies. That could be. Are you supposed to keep your enemies close? You are. And uh, what better way than having them in the GDS Slack? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take us out, John. Oh, wow. Just, just cold. Huh? I mean, I'm just trying to set you up here, but I, at some point I just got to tell you to do oh, it, I guess. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's my fault. <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. He has no idea.